Good evening, everybody. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Oh, I got all these weird nitro pop-ups. I don't... <laughs> Good grief. Go away. Um, <laughs> do not want to subscribe to your service, Discord. Um, so uh, with us this evening is Dan, myself, Dave, and Alex, and Rob are on audio only. Blunty will not be joining us tonight. Um, he's got some personal stuff to take care of. So... Um, I have a couple of news articles. The news is relatively slim um, without getting into uh, it's more and more dominated by Ukraine and Russia and drones and Iran and, and all that kind of stuff. So trying to, to keep it neutral um, in, in some form or fashion, I guess. But uh, let's see. Let me get my screen going here. Go live. Um, so, uh, this is, uh, latest on the DJI, uh, hot list here. They just can't seem to catch a break. So between, uh, being, uh, uh, rejected by the federal government and Florida, and as we'll see here in a, in a little bit, a couple other states are considering the same type of legislation. Um, there is now a lawsuit for $367 million, uh, in Waco, Texas, uh, it's DJI versus Textron. Textron is the the maker of the Bell UH-1 Huey helicopter. Uh, it's a military helicopter, um, and Textron uh, is essentially suing DJI uh, for their use of follow like auto follow uh, modes um, mm -hmm. that are included on. DJI aircraft. They said that uh, Textron currently owns the patent for that type of technology. Um, and uh, the follow a vehicle feature, which enables pilots of helicopters and tilt rotor aircraft to follow ships and land on them, uh, also enables DJI consumer drones to follow snowboarders down mountains or follow cars around neighborhoods. Uh, Sigmund, uh, uh, he's the attorney for Textron. Uh, the feature is based on uh, a U.S. patent on control system for vehicles uh, from 2011. Um, the auto hover feature, which enables rotor wing pilots to land their aircraft more safely and easily, also makes flying and operating DJI drones very easy for consumers. The feature is based uh, on flight control laws for automatic hover hold, so two different patents. Um, they're saying in 2019, Textron offered to license the patents to DJI, and DJI did not even return Textron's letter. Um, the attorneys for uh, DJI um, say that uh, Textron's vehicle following technology uses both position and direction information of the followed vehicle, while DJI drones follow vehicles and people just based on the position of the followed vehicle. DJI's auto hover feature is not based on a pilot in the vehicle controlling it with mechanical and hydraulic systems like Textron's auto hover patent. Rather, it's based on a drone operator using a handheld remote control. So they're saying, you know, different systems based on user input and uh, pilot uh, location. Um, so uh, they're saying that Textron did not offer to license the patents. They were looking to sell the patents to DJI in the 2019 letter. Um, and, uh, he's asking, uh, how could patents from 2011 and 2015 be worth $376 million? Um, so 
Definitely an interesting uh, turn of events, DJI. I, I'm sure this is one of many things that uh, is going on with DJI right now, but um, it just seems like the hits just keep on coming for them. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this uh, uh, pushes out. So, um, and then if you, I, I'm pretty sure everybody's heard, but uh, DJI is one of the uh, manufacturers who has now been banned in the state of Florida. Um, and, uh, uh, I've got, let's see, we'll pull this up. So this is a regulatory roundup, um, kind of the latest and greatest going on both, uh, federally and, uh, on a state by state basis. So, um, currently, uh, us federal legislators have been actively pushing for drone and UAS integration in recent weeks, advocating for a pair of bills that could have major implications in the industry's future. One bill, um, uh, let's see, one bill has already been introduced. The untitled legislation would support additional research and development at the FAA's seven UAS test sites. Specifically, Warner and Hoven are hoping to extend federal authorization of those test sites, which set to expire this coming September. Um, and the pair also want to give the FAA the ability to formally issue grants to contracted test site users, allowing more firms to demonstrate their technology and integrate in the national airspace. So um, probably a good good one there. Um, let's see. So uh, Governor Ron DeSantis last week began enforcing a rule that grounds drones from foreign countries of concern including China and market leader DJI. He and other lawmakers cited spying as a reason for the ban, though they did not provide evidence of such activities. So this has gone, this is a, a thing that's gone back and forth where, um, you know, both uh, the federal government in the past has said there's reasons for this, you know, that, that they've they found spying stuff. DJI has come back and said there's no way that happens. And then other people come back and say it does. So it's just this giant back and forth with this. But, I mean, at this point, it's now begun down the path of the blue UAS. Um, but this has really put a damper on law enforcement in Florida who are utilizing these drones, who can now not use these drones. And, um, and they have to basically be using UAS or basically they're limited to a list of five approved drone manufacturers and uh, some law enforcement, it says here, some law enforcement members claim that drones from the list of approved firms have caught fire or fallen out of the sky. And uh, one even described them bluntly as shitty. So <laughs> that's, uh, they're not happy. Let's just put it that way. Right, so all, all public safety and anyone in the uh, state government in Florida. So it's uh, mm -hmm. risking risking lives uh, in law 100%. enforcement and other. Yeah, so it's any government-sponsored uh, or government-funded agency. Um, so it, it's definitely an interesting push. But uh, in Tennessee, it looks like uh, some lawmakers support a ban similar to Florida. Um and uh law enforcement agencies there are unhappy as well so i can tell rob unmuted does that mean he wants to say something about this yeah you want to chime in rob yeah yeah i was gonna jump in just on the texas front so we have two that were proposed 
We have uh, we have forty seven thirty seven. I met with the author of that this last week. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a concern anymore. Mm-hmm. The other one that uh, that's about to go before committee is uh, Texas Bill five forty one. And the way that they wrote that, and this is something other states need to watch out for, it doesn't mention UAS or drones or anything like that. So it doesn't get as much attention, but it essentially says that any kind of any kind of government, state, municipal, you know, local government entities are forbidden from purchasing uh, from vendors that are on the DOD no-no list. So in other words, the Department of Defense. So, you know, kind of the way we're viewing it is Department of Defense and military is very different from local government. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something that I have a feeling is probably going to make its way into other states. Like you mentioned, I'm aware of Tennessee. I just talked to uh, some guy. I talked to two guys in Florida this week, actually, about how it's impacting their legislation. And uh, nobody knows what the enforcement or what the penalty is going to be. So there's some guys that are continuing using the equipment in Florida and other people are, are kind of scared to. So uh, it's one of those rapidly evolving things. But I have a feeling it's going to be spreading to other states uh, sooner than later. Yeah, it does appear so. So we've got, it uh, looks like Tennessee. Um, and then uh, so far, I think that was it. I thought I read somewhere else that there was another one that was looking to go that route. But um, let's see. Uh, Missouri House last week passed its own bill to crack down on drone surveillance. The proposed law would prohibit law enforcement agencies from using drones to gather information related to criminal conduct without a warrant first um unless there's an imminent threat to life so uh definitely some interesting stuff going on there um i don't know it's i in a certain form or fashion i get the the caution when it comes to stuff but i mean let's prove it first before we start jumping down rabbit holes of of conspiracy theories you know i mean that's kind of where i'm at well, right now, I know DGI is doing a lot of lobbying as well. Uh, there's There's been multiple, I know, uh, Booz Hamilton, Kibu Consulting, there's been multiple uh, independent, um, there's been multiple independent studies that have done that have failed to show any type of communications back with China. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, kind of the common ground that I came to with the author of the one I mentioned that I met with this last weekend is if uh, if there's any concerns, they just shouldn't be used in sensitive areas. But of the United States is not sensitive areas, you know, military installations, nuclear power plants. We, we understand that, but uh, we're mostly concerned with if a citizen can fly a DJI drone there too, then, then, you know, local government should also have the ability to, if it's contributing to, you know, you know, the overall safety of the public or the overall safety of the organization. 100% agree. I mean, they're going to be flown by by normal citizens and, you know, whatever they're scared of doesn't change anything um, unless it's over sensitive areas. So, yeah, 100 percent. So there's a comment. Anyway, I don't know if you're going to jump into this on the news, but, um, you know, another thing, too, you know, with the TikTok concerns, they banned TikTok. They didn't ban the iPhone. So that's another uh, that's another possibility. Uh, I think somebody posted on the discord earlier the uh, drone sense Icarus solution, which is essentially a third-party software that runs on DJI hardware. So that's something else that's also rapidly evolving that I think may find a place. Yeah, Uh, I was actually going to have that up. That's actually the next article. 
Well, there you go. Segue into it. <laughs> yeah, before, before you get to that, there's a question on YouTube, I think, related to Florida. Um, will they stop there, and how far will they go with this? Uh, uh, I think the, I mean, for me, Rob would probably be better off with that, but uh, yeah, I can, I can really, take that one. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so kind of the way that it's looking is there's uh, there's two manufacturers uh, local domestically that uh, have very overpriced products, and they've hired a lot of lobbyists, and they paid a lot of money. They paid a tremendous amount of money uh, in lobbying. So uh, that's where a lot of this is stemming from. They were successful in Florida. Uh, the same company has multiple lobbyists that are in the same district as one of the bills that I just mentioned in Texas. Uh, so no doubt it's going to continue because right now, the way that I view it, it's 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 companies that are trying to get their slice of the market through legislation rather than innovation. That's probably the best way to summarize it. So, yeah, 100%, no doubt it will be spreading to other states. It's just a matter of if um, if if there's enough support, I guess, people standing up to to oppose it uh, in the hopes that it won't go through. So up here on, on the screen, this is the list of the uh, blue UAS approved um, uh, UAS here. So we've got the Flight Wave Edge, the Harris Aerial Carrier, the Harris, uh, two different versions of that, the Easy Aerial Osprey, the Inspired Flight, uh, Intense, Wingtra, Ascent, Freefly, Sensefly, Guideo, Parrot, Teal, and uh, Vantage Robotics. So these are the the uh, few here. Um, the Golden Eagle, we've shown this before. Um, this has gone through a couple different uh, um, iterations. The Paradinafi, I'm sure people are pretty familiar. The, the Skydio, I'm sure pre people are pretty familiar. Oh, here we go. Let's see. Oh, here's a whole list here. Golden Eagle. Teal, Vesper. I mean, I've not, I mean, I've seen a couple of these. Like, I've seen the Skydio in person before. I've never flown a Skydio. I'm sure lots of people have. Um, but I don't have a ton of experience with any of these. Um, so I don't know how good, bad, or otherwise they are in comparison to DJI. But the thing that DJI has is the years of innovation, whereas everybody else is just. I mean, it's it's really just playing catch up uh, with them on features and, and functionality. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting. But I mean, this this goes on. This is DroneSense. Um, so they're a Texas-based company that builds drone software for first responders. It's ready to venture into the hardware space with the production of a new communications device that can be attached to any public safety drone, such as the DJI M300 or the M30. This add-on device will essentially function like a backpack computer and ensure no information is leaked to the drone manufacturer. Um, DroneSense announcement comes days after the Florida government banned public safety agencies from using DJI drones because they are manufactured in a foreign country of concern. Uh, the device that DroneSense has planned will be compliant with the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, it will bypass the existing radio frequency link used to operate DJI drones from the ground and operate with first responder traffic prioritization 
um, and it will also give the aircraft 4G and 5G data connectivity. Um, it, let's see, since the solution will put additional intelligence on board, first responders will be able to ensure altitude limits, no-fly zones, and emergency landing sites, even when the drone loses its connection. This will be especially valuable in reasons, regions with maximum radio frequency power limitations that restrict the range of existing drone controllers. Uh, so it's meant to improve data security um, and support BVLOS um, and use 4G and 5G networks. So um, maybe this is a solution, you know, but it, it's a solution in search of a problem. <laughs> like it's, uh, there's, there's not a, a, a hardcore proven problem here in my eyes that, that this continues, but, you know. I don't know. So thoughts, questions, concerns? Like I said, it, it's uh, relatively uh, light. I know there's a couple Ukrainian uh, things going on. I think they're... Uh, I, I've heard uh, a couple different numbers, but 50,000 FPV drones they're, they're looking to utilize over there uh, in their ongoing efforts there. Uh, but... Uh, without getting too deep into the weeds on, on that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that's really all I've got. Dave, what you got for us, sir? A couple things going on. Um, let's see. The, uh, the first is uh, coming up on the 26th of this month is the Advanced uh, Aviation Advisory Committee meeting. Uh, we are active, uh, have been active participants in uh, the two... Uh, tasking groups that uh, will be presented, tasking group 14, which is around, um, please, industry, help us, the FAA, get uh, uh, BV loss out sooner. Uh, it's now coming up on uh, a year and a half since the uh, uh, BV loss ARC, Aviation Rule Making Committee, uh, published. And uh, the FAA is looking for industry to help accelerate uh, some areas. Now, one of the things that... Um, uh, we've done in that one is uh, uh, Jen Palmer, uh, I'm, part, I'm sorry, Jen Player, and uh, uh, Vic Moore and I uh, created a subgroup, and there's a, uh, uh, thanks mostly to Jen and Vic, a, an excellent section on uh, tips and techniques for submitting waivers for BV loss. And so uh, as uh, anyone who's submitted uh, uh, waivers, in particular a, a BV loss waiver request, uh, you know that it frequently can be a, a process where the FAA will tell you warmer, getting warmer, warmer, getting no, colder, colder, and so it's uh, so, uh, uh, Jen has uh, significant experience as does Vic in gaining uh, successful BV loss waivers. So if nothing else, the document uh, that should will be a public ebook on the 26th will be useful if you're a Part 107 pilot and. Uh, you get on going after BV loss waivers. Uh, tasking group 15 uh, was about uh, how do how how should if you are a um, an, a drone operator concern a company and you're going to deploy in a community, how do you do community outreach? What do you think about? What do you do? And so this is a, a good guide, and there are a number of super references, uh, notably. Uh, the Wing organization was just fantastic and uh, opened up their shop uh, and helped us uh, a ton. And uh, one of their documents will be 
uh, out in pu in the public domain shortly. And so, if uh, you're an organization that's moving into a new uh, a new town, a new market, uh, this is a uh, how do you how do you talk to the local authorities? Who do you go to? And so, it's just a lot of common sense, but it's uh, from uh, some folks who done this before and uh, have shared uh, their experiences and learning. So that's uh, tasking group 15. And that'll, that write-up will be uh, in the uh, ebook uh, that will follow the presentation around the FAA Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee. Yeah, and as far as and I can tell, the ebook has not been published yet. I, it has, I haven't seen it published today. either. No, usually usually goes up the day of. So I, I'd Sometimes say start, it's been you know, like a week ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one they're uh, working. But they've a had close. But they've had plenty of time. It's yeah, already they, delayed a month. Right, they have an extra month of time. Exactly. It's the government. <laughs> and just to reiterate, the next AAAC meeting is coming up next week on the twenty sixth. You said, and this one yes. is like later in the afternoon. They've usually started in the morning, but I thought I saw yeah. this one biz later. Yeah, I haven't uh, haven't looked um, at the time. Uh, I'll be in the air, so I'm. Uh, I I haven't bothered to check the time. So you won't be joining us uh, being ignored in the comment section on the YouTube video. Correct. <laughs> I was yeah, I was offered to uh, to help present, uh, but uh, had to pass. Uh, next up is uh, our safety, the FPVFC safety guidelines. The, uh, the continuing. So I was going to say this exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We are. So let's see. We're on probably Rev four at least, and so uh, uh, we have. We're it's now uh, on uh, balls in our our court. Uh, so we have uh, some updates that we need to finalize and uh, uh, and submit again to the FAA, and uh, we've been sharing uh, the blow-by-blow -blow on this uh, from a, a perspective of transparency, and uh, we'll, we'll get uh, our, our updated safety guidelines out, and we are working to uh, hold the line on uh, articulating that there is a difference between statute and guidelines, and uh, 44809 and the advisory circular 9157C, which is a guideline. Um, so we plan to submit our next version to the FAA tomorrow. Is that about that's right? My, that's my objective. Yes, absolutely. Yep. We had the uh, la last uh, changes uh, last night, and uh, uh, my apologies. Couldn't get that one uh, done today. And we'll see what they have uh, to say after that. <laughs> I'm sure they'll find something completely new to complain about. Yeah, yep. I yeah, bet. We'll, report, we'll report back on uh, what the, uh, the next... Uh, the next page in this uh, story is next up is um, the AMA sent an email out. There's a uh, they're doing a, a town hall like event. Uh, what what's the day? Monday, on I think. Monday. Yep. And so I I believe it's an open meeting. And uh, what they were talking about are a couple things. Uh, one is they mentioned our FPV FC and flight test community association. Uh, 250 gram lower bound, pushing that to or requesting that to be pushed to one kilogram. And their suggestion to the AMA members was uh, please don't send uh, memos to your congressional representatives and senators. Hang, keep your powder dry. We find that it's uh, one, one memo at a time uh, works best, and uh, we don't want to dilute the message, and we're working on some good stuff. 
So uh, we are uh, unaware what the good stuff is. Uh, we'll uh, certainly evaluate it and get behind it uh, if it looks uh, if it looks like good stuff when it does come out. Um, and we uh, we disagree with the notion that uh, we should we are, we should all stay quiet. We think the uh, the choice of uh, sending uh, communication to our congressional representatives and senators is an individual choice. We ask our uh, our followers, members, friends to um, make their own mind up on this. And uh, we feel that the uh, this is a good cause. And uh, in as much as there are about 300,000 uh, FPV uh, folks in the United States, three times the AMA membership, and there's some 2.1 million followers for uh, flight test. Uh, those are those are big numbers, and if we can get folks' uh, attention uh, who are congressional reps or senators, that's a real good thing. And uh, we've been hearing from folks uh, on emails and uh, and texts and any other uh, in Discord as well. Uh, thank and so our th that they have already sent, and some congressional reps and Senate offices have come back with questions, and that's great. And uh, our thanks to everyone who has uh, sent in. Uh, requests to, uh, to support the uh, 250 gram uh, limit. And I believe, uh, and yeah, still have not heard anything. There is a uh, counter UAS arc that was supposed to be announced in February. Still have not heard anything about that. So if anyone hears about a counter UAS aviation rulemaking committee going through the Department of Transportation, that's where we understand it may be stuck. Uh, that's something that we definitely would like to participate in. I guess somebody countered the counter UAS uh, arc. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's disappeared. It's uh, like destructive Just interference and wave theory. That's funny. <clears throat> that's all I had, Josh. All right. Um, Dan, you got anything for us? Uh, Dave stole everything I was thinking about uh, mentioning the... AAAC meeting that's coming up next week and mentioning the AMA's live stream coming up next Monday. Um, otherwise, I think everything's... Well, and us submitting our latest version of the safety guidelines. Um, other than that, I think yeah. that's about all I've been involved with lately. All right. Uh, Alex, what do you got for us, sir? Uh, well, this past weekend we had Mayhem, uh, 12 hours of racing, this year's lucky number seven started at 7.07 a.m. and went till 8.00 or went to 7.07 p.m. Nice. So, uh, they, so this year team flight club uh, took first and getting a record of most laps during mayhem with 14.46 laps, I believe. Uh, I don't have the number pulled up, but I think that's what it was, around 1446 laps in 12 hours. So, and that, they were, uh, they were a pretty well put together team. They had, uh, some of the pilots were Minchan, Leviathan, Noikol, um, Hyper, and a few other so very well-renowned 1, 1,446 laps? That is correct. And the, the lap time was in the magnitude of twenty seconds each Amazing. on average. Amazing. Yeah, twenty one, twenty to twenty two seconds on average. The fastest lap times were eighteen seconds by Min Chan. So, sounds like you need yeah. a bigger course. 
there's a decent sized course. That's funny. Wow, a three but... a three second spread. From really good to insanely good. That's well, when you're only talking on twenty seconds, well, yeah. Throughout the day that's, too. That's a huge spread, yeah. Um and second place was team team white goat who won last year i believe they finished up with around 12 or 1300 some laps so yeah there's a uh, same number of same number of pilots uh, alex so the, the, the each team has effectively the same it's a maximum of 10 pilots okay it's a maximum 10. of 10 pilots per team some have a little less but for the most part uh, maximum of 10 per team. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. And, and yeah. you were able, were you able to get there? No, that's in Texas. Oh. <laughs> were you one of the remote judges? I was not. I was, uh, resting that day because I was supposed to have a, uh, I was supposed to be working that night. Uh, we were doing a demo. And so, but then the demo ended early, so I ended up resting for nothing. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask you how the remote judging kind of works for that race, and so it sounds well, interesting. Well, I, I can't I can't answer how the remote judging works. Uh, so basically, the remote judging you get a separate live feed. So there's the YouTube uh, stream that everyone gets, but the remote judges get a separate stream that is just the live video feed because on the mainstream it'll go to ads or it will have. Um, like different animations to show, oh, these are it's just two of the screens of the seven teams up, and the remote judging live stream has only um, has just the video streams of each aircraft, and the judges will watch the channels, and if they see something that's like, oh, maybe they this person missed a gate on that lap, they find a timestamp of where that was. And there's a form that the judges have that they can submit saying, okay, there was this incident at this time. I don't think pilot X flew through gate Y. And then there's a chief judge who will go over and review it. And sometimes that chief judge is Scully. Uh, most of the time it's Michelle or, and so then they'll, They'll review it. They'll say whether they went through the gate or not and assess penalties. Man, but their judges are there to see if something goes wrong. I can't imagine watching a YouTube review. video of a 20-second lap and being able to tell if somebody missed a gate or not. Hey, <laughs> but you, other people are much better at there's that. There's some pretty I good tricks. There's some good tricks for it. So most of the time, they're flying smoothly. So it, if they fly smooth, they're not missing gates generally. And if they... the ch Usually if it's questionable if they miss a gate is if they clip the gate or crash. Sure. So the secret That's is miss the... a gate smoothly. <laughs> no one will know. Possibly. Because uh, sometimes Alex, the remote a, judges. Oh, we've got yep. a good, we've got a good question in, uh, in discord. Uh, may okay. I in, interrupt you there. And I don't think they are in the uh, listening to us either. Still oh. a good question though. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and Alex, thank you for the re re report on uh, mayhem and uh, FPV racing is critically important to us. So, thank you. 
Uh, okay. So Gerner asks, he's like, uh, is a plan for free is that still that anyone can submit any place they own, coordinate with owners? Uh, example given, uh, personal backyard frias are on the table. So, okay. Dave, why don't you take that one? So the first is, and XJet uh, said it uh, said it well. Uh, FAA is uh, not too keen on personal frias, um, uh, and uh, there is an important document, um, the programmatic environmental assessment uh, fria. Uh, yeah, which, I was going to pull that up here, which is. Um, 109 pages, as I was mentioning uh, before we uh, started up. And uh, it is out for comment. And we have until uh, May 3rd to comment, and we will. Uh, reading through it, it is not easy reading. So it, uh, having a little bit of a time uh, getting through it, it's uh, at, at first glance, you look through it, and it's, it sounds like, wow, the FAA wrote this document and they're helping us out in that it looks like most of the time I don't have to do an environmental uh, study uh, or impact assessment. Well, not so fast. So the, my dread fear is that what the PEA FRIA does is it for every FRIA application, you have to go through this programmatic environmental assessment. And for some of the instances, uh, federal other federal agencies are pulled in to do environmental assessments on flying fields. So th this just uh, further makes getting a FRIA that much more difficult. Uh, and so we have to read through this and uh, respond uh, in detail. Uh, we do feel that a lot of the assumptions in the document are bad, and so we're, we'll, that's our first pass, which will be uh, the, the conclusions that are drawn in the document are erroneous because the uh, assumptions are off. They're way off. The other, the other reason that the document is important to us as a, a community of folks who watch uh, regulations is that a number of the comments that we've been hearing only verbally from FAA personnel are written down. Um, the 4,000, the estimate of 4,000 free is as a total number and being totally fine is uh, voiced in this document repeatedly. Uh, in addition, and unfortunately, uh, it appears that the only group that the FAA worked with, uh, with uh, the only CBO was the AMA. And so not sure how long this document was around, uh, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, AMA is around 100,000 people. We've got over 2 million uh, people in this overall fixed wing plus uh, multi-rotor hobby. So they did not go to an organization with broad representation. And that's uh, very unfortunate and an aspect that we will point out uh, in the comments. So a uh, good question on, uh, on the FRIA. Uh, it's, uh, it's not good. Let's see a yeah, follow-up question here. Where is the line? All right, private clubs, family clubs, oh, all of those totally theoretical until. So here's the deal with FRIAs is that uh, technically the only people who can request them are CBOs and educational institutions. Now, right. um, while we're, you know, we are comfortable um, to a certain extent allowing you 
or, or people to utilize us to submit their frias um, for you know whatnot. the The general rule is is it needs to be for kind of like a club atmosphere, uh, multiple people utilizing the property for for flying, not just you yourself and and uh, your your immediate family. So. The, the rules are very vague on this, and but at the same time, that's the general gist that we're getting from the FAA, is it needs to be uh, for multiple people. Now, do we know uh, approximately, Dave, when they're going to start approving FRIAs? Have they started so yet? So this is, um heard an offhand comment uh, with respect to that uh, by an FAA uh, staffy. And he said, well, you know, we're going to start approving them on uh, September 16, uh, 2023. And uh, that's curious. Um, so that's the day even... that uh, remote ID goes into effect. Exactly. For, for, and by for, start approving, uh, that means start looking at applications or list no, the they, places no, that they... have been approved. Great, great quality. You know, they're, they, it's mine with the, the latter. And so they'll. Uh, it's my understanding that that's when they will start providing the approval that FRIA applicants have been approved. They've also, um, we've heard directly from uh, FAA management that the review process has started. Color me a little skeptical on that point in as much as collectively around the FPVFC team, we've got some of the, the first applications in and this goes back to December and we've not heard boo are the uh, the applications we submitted are still locked there's no communication there's nothing so we still are uh asking the FAA uh we had a, a list of seven questions they came back uh with some dubious responses and we've asked them again to uh please consider our request to work with them on an application programming interface to make this a little uh, more effective and efficient and uh, less error prone. So Fly High FPV says, should my nonprofit, the Castle Crash FPV Society, apply to be a CBO? We host drone festivals. And they also said that they have a club with hundreds of pilots. 100% 100% I think you should apply to be a CBO. Now, remember, right. there's that, certain rules that, that uh, need to need to happen. So need to be a 501c3. And, it, you know, if you're a nonprofit, you're a 501c3, that's the, definitely the first step. Um, but yeah, uh, And if you're interested in being a CBO or a 501c3, give us a call. We're happy yeah. to share the experiences that we've had in as, you know, incorporating and uh, then gaining 501c3 approval through the IRS, and then uh, the rest of the safety guideline and application process with the FAA. Happy they said they are a 501c3. Excellent. The, the other That's option would be step. to work more closely with one of the existing CBOs if if that is any better. It, uh, it sort of right. depends on what's your goal. Yeah. Why would you like to become a CBO? Um, what are the benefits? Are there any benefits? Uh at the moment, not really, um, but <laughs> maybe if if free has actually become a thing, then maybe there'll be a benefit to being a CBO. Yeah, yeah I mean the the 
the implied benefits versus the actual benefits, you know, that that remains to be seen. So being able to the apply one, for free the is one that Wanti uncovered the other day was that a CBO can grant forty four eight oh nine status to a primary and secondary school. They can charter a school. Outbound. Can charter a school. Now this is nice. we're not making this up. This was in uh, the advisory circular ninety one dash fifty seven C. It's in section two, and uh, good. Uh, my compliments and thanks to Blunty for picking this up. We had a, a call, uh, and uh, someone was asking, "Hey, uh, we're a school, and uh, someone told us that we needed a Part 107 in order for each of us to fly. And if it's not in the uh, uh, furtherment of fun, that's absolutely the truth. So uh, the instructor we feel probably still needs a Part 107, but uh, on, if you're flying on a school ground." That's not a you can fly under 44809 or recreational exception for that. But if you're in a class uh, and you're in primary or secondary school, this is a you know, you, you should be uh, chartered by a CBO. And this, uh, uh, I, I know uh, one of the CBOs is uh, pursuing this, and uh, I'm sure, or we do know for sure, that the flight test. Community Association will also uh, be pursuing it. It sounds mm -hmm. like the main reason is that they would like to declare their meetup spots as free as. Um, one possibility is you could reach out to us, and especially Alex has been doing this for a few places. Uh, we mm -hmm. could we could apply um, apply for a free on your behalf. Um, otherwise, also the Flight Test Community Association is doing that for their members. If you happen to be a member of Flight Test. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, XJet says the only benefit that we get from being a CBO is uh, bragging rights, and uh, you know, I disagree with that. We've had uh, you know so many uh, very fulfilling conversations with the FAA based on our CBO status oh, on yeah. safety guidelines. That uh, <laughs> yeah, such a great benefit. So fair. so now it's time. Dave's not salty about this. <laughs> uh, we yeah we. We absolutely love the FAA. It's fine. It's it's totally fine. Um. Anyway. Uh. All right, Rob. Do you have anything to round us out this evening? Uh. The the only thing kind of circling back to y'all's uh y'all's first conversation about that federal lawsuit. Uh, I'm afraid that if, if they are successful, it's actually going to have great implications on the FPV community. And the reason I say that is because if they have to pay that kind of uh, settlement out, um, that's going to directly correlate with an increase of pricing. And I know a lot of us in the group, a lot of us in the FPV community, you know, utilize the DJI FPV digital system. Um, so that, that cost is ultimately going to be passed on to consumers. And then the the overarching fear from there is if, if uh, you know, Textron's able to prove that you know the the the, the auto tracking and the uh, auto hover and some of these other uh, quote proprietary technologies are indeed covered under this patent, then they're likely going to be going after all of the other drone manufacturers as well that offer you know similar technology. So um, it. It may seem like a stretch for you know some people in the group to realize you know how does this impact us, but this uh, this these type of events absolutely impact the FPV community and and may impact us tremendously. So that's all that I've got to add to anything. 
Yeah, I would agree. The uh, The size of um, DJI is uh, a significant magnitude. When we think of the revenue that uh, they're making, 80-some-odd 80, 80 percent market share globally, uh, still in the magnitude of 2,000 uh, engineers uh, on staff in China, it is a very large company. So um, $300 million uh, would not bankrupt them, but it would... It would um, uh, if if they were public, which they're not, it would definitely show up on the uh, on the balance sheet. So it it would uh, probably not alter their business structure. But I agree with Rob that uh, it very well could uh, increase the uh, the unit uh, price to customer. Yep, one hundred percent. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll give you guys uh, yeah. all back yeah, a they... couple minutes of your evening. I want oh, go one ahead. last comment that. Uh, Dan copied from Ed uh, oh. Will. Considering the the number of individuals in the RC community, in reality, how many actually fly in a club field, or a Freya, or fly elsewhere? Well, that's one of the points that I was trying to make. If we've got, we think it's a, our the round number of population is about 1.8 million uh, radio control enthusiasts, fixed wing and uh, drones combined, and then uh, you take. Uh, consider the AMA as uh, the fixed field community at about 100,000. Uh, that gives you a good ratio of uh, that's uh, somewhere between 120th and 110th. So basically, so that, a lot of people don't want to fly in frias or in fields. They want to fly in parks and lots of other places. Backyards. Right, 100%. I've only flown once at one fixed flying site in, in six years ever <laughs> i know of, i know of one near me right and, and, I, and i also fly fixed wing rc and these it uh, it's uh for what i fly it, it's really required to fly in a larger field so i do fly at a uh, an ama field in addition to uh to flying uh my my quads at home oh i did forget one thing so um also uh if anybody is going to Flight Fest, which I highly recommend, it's a ton of fun. Um, Dave, myself, Rob, and I believe Alex will all be there. So um, uh, if you'd like to come out, say hi. If you're going to be there, come by and say hi. I think, are we still posting up at the Pilot Institute tent, Dave? Uh, yes, we, we. it looks like we'll have two locations, one at the Pilot Institute tent and uh, also we'll have some space at the uh, build at a build tent it's my understanding perfect awesome so uh, if you want to come out and say hi uh come grab some fpbfc stickers uh sit down uh, need help with a build uh or anything uh we'll be there so uh that'll be super fun um and uh yeah uh yes it's a it's this is a great event. We're excited to be there. And we're, we continue to be all volunteer. Uh, the membership uh, funds that, uh, that we take in, uh, we spend on uh, equipment as well as uh, travel. Uh, and uh, this is uh, our biggest travel event by far uh, mm -hmm. for the year. And so we're, uh, we're excited to be there. And there are over 2,000 uh, pilots there. So uh, that's... Uh, uh, plus, it gets us together. Well, we're excited about that, and the the positive energy at uh, at the event is palpable in a in a, such a great way. And really mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Yep, hundred percent. 
All right. So with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Um, thanks for joining us this evening, folks. Uh, we highly appreciate it. Love the questions. Love the the input. Yeah, the um, interaction. Really like that. Thank you. Yep, hundred percent. So Gosh, hope you uh, feel better. Yeah, I'm working on it, man. <laughs> Get some rest, right, and we'll uh, see you guys in two weeks. <laughs> absolutely. Have a good night, guys.